Wouldn't it be confusing if we couldn't agree on a standard of just something as simple as weights and measures? If you got to choose what a foot was, and, and then you got to choose your version, and, and you got to choose what a gallon was, and we all just, based on what we thought, got to determine the standard of just something as simple as weights and measures. How many people have been watching basketball last few days? Can you imagine when the guys take the court today, they said, you know what, guys, no rules today. You, you 10 out there, you just make it up. We're going to erase the lines, just go for it, just play. It would be chaos. It would be confusing. It would look like a hockey game, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if they just got to make up their own rules, they went along. It wouldn't make sense. Life just makes more sense because we have standards. Now, when it comes to truth, what if you got to determine what was true, and then you got to determine truth, and you were the standard of truth? What if, what if we tried to go through life, and each person got to decide what the standard of truth is? was wouldn't the world be a confusing place because people's standard of truth determines how they act in life and determines what they say is okay and what they say is not okay we all know if i said name one of the most evil people that ever lived several of us would very quickly say who adolf hitler wasn't it probably one of the most evil person who killed people based on their race and religion with no mercy, and he did it to the millions. We look at that and say, that's wrong, that's terrible, that's detestable, but he didn't think it was wrong. His standard was that was okay or he wouldn't have been doing it. Not too long ago in our own country, if your skin was not the right color, according to whoever made the rules and set the standard, then you couldn't drink out of this water fountain or you couldn't sit at this part on the bus or go to this school we know that's wrong and detestable and horrible but somebody thought it was right because their standard was that's the way you're supposed to treat people for many many years people justified slavery based on what they read in the bible what they thought they read in the bible we know that's wrong and abomination that it's terrible that it's awful but they thought it was okay because they had a different standard they based the standard on themselves and then from generation to generation this standard will be here and this standard will be over there we know all those things are wrong because we have standards god expects us to live life with standards and he's not pleased when standards shift and change and what's this over here and it's that over there listen what it says in proverbs chapter 20 verse 10 differing weights and differing measures. The Lord detests them both. So God is not pleased when we use, when we don't use a standard. He expects us to have a standard. So when it comes to today's question in this series called Q&A, we've got to look at the standard. There's no agenda on my part with this question. These are questions that you asked, and we said we were going to answer, so I'm going to answer it. No soapbox issue, not wanting to be argumentative, but here's the question that people asked. Is it wrong to live a homosexual lifestyle? You asked. You ask it in different ways. Like, I have a friend who's gay. Is it okay? Were they created that way? You ask the question. That's a legitimate question to ask, especially in today's culture. And that question has to do with human behavior. There's a lot of opinions and I do believe God's Word has a clear standard when it comes to
to that human behavior. And I'm going to be specific, but before I do that, I think we need to kind of hit the pause button and think, well, why would people ask that question? Maybe they're not sure what the standard is. Maybe they're not sure where to look. Maybe, maybe they, they're not really positive. Where's truth and what's truth and where do I go to to get truth? People have struggled with that, finding truth for thousands of years. Even in Jesus' day, people struggled with truth. The guy Pilate, the Roman governor who, who had the opportunity to let Jesus go. The scene in John chapter 18 has Jesus standing in front of Pilate. And Pilate says, you're a king then. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. And then this wise official, government official says, what is truth? Because he wanted to know what's truth. Because even he would have known, as we all know, that what I believe determines how I behave. What I believe relationally determines how I treat people in relationships. What I believe financially determines how I spend, give, keep, whatever I do with my money, waste it, whatever. What I believe about things financially determines how I act. What I believe spiritually and emotionally determines how I act. Now, everybody wants to be on the side of truth. I don't know anybody that says, hey, I'll live a lie. Pick me. I'd love to live a lie. Everybody wants to be on the side of truth. So since everybody wants to be on the side of truth, and people have disagreements about different conducts, and even this issue we're going to talk about today, then that means one of two things. Either, Either there is absolute truth that is the standard, or in order for people to live on the side of truth, they just change truth in order to justify behavior. You can apply that in any area of life. The examples I gave just a moment ago of evil people who've lived in the past. They wanted to be on the side of truth, so they make their behavior true. There's two big enemies when it comes to truth in today's culture. Big ones. The first enemy is relativism. And what relativism says is that relativism is an assumption that there's no such thing is absolute truth. That truth evolves, it changes, it's not constant. It used to be true, but it's not true any longer. Anybody that argues for relativism that says there's no such thing as absolute truth, their argument breaks down fast because that's an absolute statement to say there's no such thing as absolute truth. That's absolutely true, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. I mean, that just starts going in a circle and doesn't make any sense. So relativism says truth changes. What might be true for you is not true for me. What was true then is not true now. And you can just look at our culture and see that is an enemy of real truth. Another enemy of truth is subjectivism. And subjectivism says that I, the subject, have the right to determine what is right and wrong without submitting my judgment to any authority outside myself. In other words, if it feels good, do it. If it makes me happy, then I'm going to do it. If I'm sincere and I don't hurt anybody, it must be true because I'm my own standard and I'm the one who sets the standards. That leads to a very confused world when each person gets to decide, well, I'm all truth and I'm going to determine what's true. And I'm not going to look outside of me to any source of truth. It's just my feelings. And when you base the standard on how you feel, you can get anywhere you want to go. You can justify any behavior you want to justify. You can justify mistreating people because of the color of their skin, 
because of their religion, because of their race. You can justify any of that. When you become the standard of truth and what you feel determines the standard. So we have to have a standard when we're answering questions about human conduct. Or it's just going to be a bunch of opinions. So we have to look, in this case, in our case, always to God for the answer. In John 14, one of Jesus' disciples was kind of confessing that he didn't know where to go. Jesus is talking about heaven, he's talking about the future, and one of his disciples is saying, I don't know where to go, I don't know where you're going. And Jesus said, look, here's the way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus defined himself as the way and the what? Truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. Now, that set the standard. There's a lot of little Jesuses walking around trying to set truth for themselves and say, well, I'll just set the truth because it's how I feel. Or truth just changes. That's the way the world is. And I'll just, I'll just set the truth. That's not what Jesus said. He said he was truth. So we need to determine what does Jesus believe about something before we start to determine what we believe about something. What's he believe? Jesus and his teachings are the standard. John 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So at the same time, Jesus Christ is the standard when He talks about our conduct, human conduct, and convicts us of anything we do wrong, He does it with grace and truth. Now, a lot of people speak truth and a lot of people speak grace, but Jesus perfectly puts the two together. Because if you just go and you speak truth and I just spew truth out of my mouth, it can be very quickly become legalistic, it can become judgmental, and it can just sound mean and harsh. If all I do is just, here's the truth, here's how it is, you're fat. You know, well, that's, that's mean. That might be true, but that's not how you say it. You know, you're bald. You don't just yell at, that's not the way, that's not how Jesus spoke truth. He perfectly had truth with grace. Now, if all, all it is is grace, then it's like, oh, you're, just go do what you want, it's fine. It's, Honey, what, just go on out on that date. Whatever you think you should do, you just do it, and that's all fine. Because God loves you and everything's going to be okay. Just grace without truth causes people to live a life where they're never under any kind of conviction for their behavior. If we're going to speak with credibility on any moral issue or any issue regarding human conduct, it has to be perfectly meshed together, these two things, grace and truth. That's what Jesus did. And when he spoke into someone's life, he convicted them of their sin. And he said what they needed to hear, but he said it in a way that they knew the love of God and how it's available to all, and how all make mistakes, and yet Jesus Christ is willing to forgive anything that we do. And if we want to speak with credibility on this, it has to be done with grace and truth. So to the question, is it wrong to live a homosexual lifestyle? Belief determines behavior. And I have to admit that I'm a, I was a little apprehensive when I first saw this question to go, well, maybe I could just answer the people, you know, on a phone call. Maybe I could just call them up and have lunch and not put it before everybody. But then I thought, well, you know, 
It's got to be a question on a lot of people's mind. And I'm going to clearly tell you what the Bible teaches about it. But my, my, my apprehensiveness comes from two big things. One, I know people who struggle with that, with homosexuality. You know people. Maybe you do. Maybe you do struggle with that. Maybe you live that lifestyle. And you know someone who loves God, who, who wants to have a family, who serves people, who's nice and generous and grace-filled and wants to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then to get up and say, you know what, this lifestyle is not biblical, that can just kind of sound harsh. So it made me a little apprehensive. Another thing that makes me apprehensive is I think for the most part, Christianity's lost a lot of credibility on this issue. Because mean-spirited, hateful people ignore the sin in their life and point to this one issue, sin, the act of homosexuality. They point to it like it's the only one out there. And then they'll make signs that say God does something God doesn't even do. I don't want to be counted with those people. Our job as followers of Christ is to send God's love into the world in truth and grace. And when I see people who don't represent the God or the Savior that I serve spewing hate to people who struggle with something, I think, how dare you take the saving message of Jesus Christ and cheapen it to three or four words on a sign? I'm just like, how? I don't want to be counted with those people. I don't want our church to be counted with those people that don't give grace and don't really even give all truth. What most people believe about this issue is because of what they feel. What you believe about it is probably because of what you feel. I'm sure there's some people in here, you've studied it out, you've looked at Scripture, and, and, and you've come to a conclusion. Most people, it's because of what they feel. Here's what the Bible has to say. It has a lot to say about the act of homosexuality. But here's one specific verse, because I don't have time to go into all of them. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 and following. It's talking about people, Paul is talking about people who suppress God's truth. And he says to them, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, if you live by subjective truth, you will, you will either be upset by this scripture or you'll go searching and it's got to mean something else. It just cannot mean what it says because I feel different. I feel different. I know what this says. So it obviously means something else because it goes against the way I feel. This passage might upset you if you live by subjective truth. But the fact is this passage says it is unnatural for men to have sex with each other. And it's unnatural for women to have sex with each other. That is not God's plan. But it also says there's a lot of other things that people do. Yeah, it says it's unnatural, it's sinful, but it just says it's a sin, it's not the sin. And to hear people, some people, talk about this, 
they don't see all the other stuff that's listed that God hates, that God does not approve of, that God gives people over to. And why is this one held up as like worse or something? It also mentions greedy people and gossips and evildoers and faithless and heartless and ruthless people. It doesn't just say, here's one thing I want you to focus on. It says, here's things people were doing that didn't please God. And I have to tell you, when I read about gossips and slanderers and liars and all the other sins that it mentions in that passage, I think back on my almost 20 years of church leadership. And the fact is, the church has been way more harmed by gossips than it ever has been by people who are gay. That's the truth. And I've seen it. So that's not the only sin listed. So why do people treat it like it is? And why do people who struggle with homosexuality somehow feel like the church has a wall up to where they can't get in? In the book, Divine Nobodies, the author Jim Palmer gets a letter from a friend and he puts the letter in the book, And here's what the friend had to say to him. Dear Jim, yes, it's me. Are you shocked? Because it's been like three years since Jim had heard from him. You'll be disappointed that I'm stuck basically in the same place I was three years ago. Sometimes in the darkness of my aloneness, I ask God why I bear the struggle of homosexuality. I sometimes curse him and demand that he take it away. He hasn't yet, and that makes me angry. I don't understand. Should I believe that that the folks at all the churches... And what they have told me, that I don't have enough faith, that I really don't want to get rid of homosexuality, that I really don't want healing. Well, if I didn't want healing, then why am I so maddened by all this? Why, should I, why do I sometimes consider running my car into an embankment or swallowing a bottle of pills? The easy church answers don't work. And I haven't found any other answers, easy or difficult, that work either. I'm a believer, I'm miserable, and I can't seem to find my way out of the darkness. I've tried so many things. Being a gay Christian, being just gay, being just a Christian, I'm out of solutions. I know Jesus is the answer, but I don't know where to go to find him anymore. And I think shame on us who say we're the people who are going to take God's love and Jesus' message to a world. And someone who struggles with the sin says, I know Jesus is the answer. I know he can deliver me. I just can't find him. Shame on us when we let a person who genuinely struggles and wants to find Christ when we let them just go out into the world, they'll find support. They'll find people who love and accept them and want to help them. It should be Jesus, and it should be the church. So you might be thinking, well, okay, I get it. I see what you're saying about truth and relative truth, but what if, what if somebody feels like they were born with an attraction to the same sex? Maybe that's you. What if? What, what if? Well, what if somebody just all their life, that's what they felt? In Scripture, God clearly says that we're created in His image. In Scripture, it clearly says that because of sin, you read about it in Genesis 2. It's a very simple story about how sin entered the world, and ever since then, nothing's been fair. Ever since then, we have this nature in us called sin that requires us to call out to Jesus Christ and say, forgive me and help me overcome my sin and the things in my life that make me lean towards the sinful nature. That's what the Scripture says. We're all creating God's image, but we all also have this sinful nature. Everybody. 
The other fact is that God's plan for sexual relationship is between a man and a woman. You will never find in Scripture anywhere, unless you go just searching like, i got to change what this means, you won't find God ever saying, these two guys were married, these two guys had a family. You'll never find these two women. It's not in there. When it talks about marriage, it's talking about man, woman. That's God's plan for a sexual relationship in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, I've talked to someone before who struggles with being attracted to multiple women, a man. He's married, and he's had affair after affair after affair after affair. And he actually said that he believes that God created him to just be attracted to multiple people. It's always been a part of his life. Now, what's his choice? Just go get all he can? Is that, is that what he's supposed to do? Can he honor God with that lifestyle? Because, hey, God, I see this woman and I'm attracted. I see this woman and I'm attracted. And, hey, I, I just have always felt this way, so I'm going for it. He cannot do that and live a God-honoring lifestyle. I know people who struggle with addiction so much that they feel like that there's something genetic and biological that they've just always had this addictive personality i don't know if that means that you know they were addicted to milk and then cheerios and popsicles and you know whatever else growing up and then and this addiction just got worse and worse and worse until now it's harder stuff and, and stuff that's more damaging and they just feel like they've always been addicted i don't know anybody that takes their addictions and says look i'm going to honor god with my addiction they can't because god did not create them to live addicted now they were created in god's image they have like all of us a sinful nature but by giving into that does not mean that oh now i can live a god honoring lifestyle our standard christ and his word make it clear what he wants for the sexual relationship of humans what if you feel tempted how does god feel when you feel tempted here's the great news about temptation it is not a sin. If it is, we are all in trouble. The Bible condemns the activity, not the temptation. The verb, not the noun. So can a person have an attraction to the same sex and still live a God-honoring lifestyle? Absolutely. Can they struggle with that and still live a God-honoring lifestyle? They better be able to, or the things we struggle with is going to get us all in a lot of trouble, and we won't any of us be able to live a God-honoring lifestyle. Can a person have a physical, sexual relationship and live that lifestyle with someone of the same sex and live a God-honoring lifestyle? And the answer, according to Scripture, is no, they cannot. That's the truth. Now, here's the grace the grace is that God loves gay people. That God loves people who gossip. That God loves people who are greedy. That God loves people who steal. That God loves people who lie. God loves people who are unfaithful. God loves people. He might hate what he does hate what we do when it separates us from him. But God loves people. And anybody that carries a sign that says God hates and then fills in a sin, they don't know anything about the love of God. Because God loves people no matter where they are. And if we're his representation on earth, then we should be a place that no matter 
who people are, no matter what their lifestyle is, no matter what they struggle with, we should be able to say the door is open. And the day the church stops being that is the day the church is no longer the, the body of Christ that God intended for us to be. If we don't welcome people who sin, then we might as well you know, put the movie on for the day. Because then that means we're all okay. We're not all okay without Jesus Christ. So God wants gay people in his church. God wants gossiping people in his church. If you gossip, come to our church. I will help you with it. I promise. If you're greedy, come to our church, and I'm going to talk to you about letting go of some of the things that God's blessed you with and bless other people with it till you're sick of hearing about it. I'm going to help you with it or you get tired of hearing it. If you're a liar, come to our church. We're going to help you see the truth in God's Word where you can live a life of truth. If you're a thief, we might watch you a little closer, but you can come to our church. Because the truth is that the grace of God looks at all of our sin and He covers it with the blood of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. And just because somebody struggles with one thing doesn't mean like, hey, the door's shut to everybody but you. And you know people who claim to follow Christ that shut that door and do detestable things in God's name to people who struggle. If this is you, live this lifestyle, you might be thinking, I just can't change. Maybe you know what God's Word says and you struggle with it and you think, yeah, but I can't change because I know how I feel. Well, if you've ever read God's Word, you know that it says nothing is what for God? Impossible. Nothing is impossible. I believe any person that wants to change from anything can change because nothing is impossible for God. Several years ago, a friend in another city I was in a Bible study with, asked me to come early one day. He met with me, and he proceeded to confess that he was having multiple affairs with men in back seats of cars, in restrooms throughout the city, in hotel rooms, wherever he could, because he had just all of his life felt like he was more attracted to men than women, even though he was married. And I watched this guy struggle and struggle and struggle until finally it was confessed to his wife. They went on to professional counseling. She extended God's grace and her grace to him. They stayed married. And not because of his feelings, but because of the standard that God sets in his word. He did what was right. He stayed with his wife. They had more children. And he's living a God-honoring lifestyle. And he may still today struggle with the same sex attraction the same way you still struggle with sin that you've had in your life before you ever knew Jesus Christ. He's forgiven, he's free, and he can walk in a church with his head held high because he's just like the rest of us. He deals with temptation. Nothing is impossible with God. You might be mad at me for what I've said today. You may not agree, but you have to find a standard outside yourself. It can't just be you. And it can't just be, I've got my standard and my feelings. Now I'm going to make the Bible say what I want it to say. That doesn't work either. You've got to have a standard outside of yourself. It can't just be subjective to your feelings. What my friend believed, 
determined how he behaved, even though he might have felt something different. Here's what God says about sin. Make sure we all know we're in the same boat. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it says, the first four words, there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. There is no difference. So the sin I deal with in my life, I'm no different than you. And the sin you deal with in your life, you're no different than somebody that struggles with the sin of homosexuality of the act that we're talking about today. You're no different. That's what the Bible says. Here's where we're all the same. We can all be justified by the grace of God. His forgiveness and His grace, His truth, is available to all. And may we never make people feel like, because they struggle with a particular sin, that they're somehow worse off than the rest of us. Because the Bible says there is no difference. So sinners, come on to our church, and we're going to tell you about Jesus who gives you His grace and His truth, and that will change your world. God, thank You for Your Word and the way You clearly speak to us. And Father, may we see You as our standard. God, in the areas that we talked about today, I pray for people who struggle with homosexuality. And God, I pray that that they can see that they can find Jesus Christ. Just like the rest of us sinners see that we can find you in your grace and your forgiveness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.